H-Y-Y and Billy Penn. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. This is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on the Twitter machine at John Stolnes. And coming up, we're going to talk about Philly's rivals. Obviously, the uh, as, as we're sitting here, the, the Cowboys on Sunday night just got pantsed by the Green Bay Packers in a monumental upset, and that got us thinking about Philly's rivals and uh, times we may have been excited that they met their demise, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some with the Eagles game on, on Monday night. Kind of most of us, I think, have the feeling that the that the Eagles are going to lose this game. Are there any, any playoff games in times past the Phillies entered a game and you just kind of expected them, knew that they were going to lose that game. We'll get into that a little bit. We're also going to talk about the lineup a little bit uh, because they're bringing back mostly the same guys. Should they make some changes? And if so, what what kind of changes are we feeling like? And it's not going to be a numbers thing. We're not going to dive into the war and the OBP and the and the BABIP and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we know the strengths and weaknesses of all these different guys. And so we'll talk about that uh, as well here on this episode of the podcast. Uh, riding with my buddy Justin Clue tonight, of course, from Baseball Prospectus and uh, the Hope to be award-winning podcast, The Dirty Inning, Dirty Inning, as well as Absolutely Hammered on our Hit and Season Patreon. Follow him on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue. Justin, what's going on, buddy? Here's a twist. I actually did look at some numbers as far as the leadoff hitter conversation, so I'm looking wow. forward to startling you with them uh, when that time comes. I appreciate those numbers because I, I haven't done that at all. So this is uh, this is good stuff we got coming here. We're going to come with information as well as uh, mindless opinions with no basis in fact. They'll, they'll be based in fact. That's, that's a pleasant surprise. So there we go. Can you imagine? Numbers on numbers. a baseball podcast. It's not, it's not something we're proud of, folks, but uh, we bring it to the <laughs> table once in a while. All right. Um, just a quick reminder, everybody, before we get into the show, uh, that Justin's Hitting Season, along with Dr. Trevor Strunk, as well as this fine podcast, Hitting Season, are both up for best baseball podcast uh, of 20. I've been saying of 2023. You said Hitting Season twice. Uh, the other Did podcast I? is called The Dirty Inning. I, I see what you're doing. Yeah. I see what you're doing. Yeah, I tried to sneak that in. Why no, not just really. double your own market? Well, our own marketing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's The Dirty Inning. Yes. Thank you for correcting me. I did not catch that at all. Um, so yes, The Dirty Inning and Hit and Season are both up for uh, Best Baseball Podcast uh, in, in the 2024 voting. Uh, that's taking place now over at sportspodcastgroup.com. Uh, you can uh, pick a show and uh, and vote for it, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll choose one of our programs. So uh, would uh, would love to lo- would love for one of us to to win that to win that gosh darn prize, and uh, we'll see what happens. But just another couple of weeks left. I think through the end of the month is when you can continue voting for this, and then uh, winners will be announced uh, in early February. So again, Sports Podcast Group. Com. Head on over there right now and vote for uh, who, which, uh, whichever show you like the best for uh, Best uh, Baseball Podcast of 2023. All right, uh, let's get into things here. And again, uh, still not a lot of movement on the Phillies front. Some, some minor news and notes out there, but uh, nothing worth uh, getting excited about. You know, as we're as we're watching some football here this weekend, the NFL playoffs wild card round is is getting started, and of course there are a lot of you listening who are also Eagles fans. And if you are Eagles fans, Philadelphia sports fans, you undoubtedly dislike the Cowboys with the f- passion of a fiery white hot sun. And watching them as the number two seed lose once again, choke once again in the playoffs, this time to Justin's Green Bay Packers and a, a really a, an essentially a rookie quarterback. He's not, he's his second year, but his first playing time ever comes in and against the Dallas Cowboys has the most efficient passing day 
in the NFL this year, a perfect passer rating for Jordan Love and absolutely humiliates the Cowboys on their home turf. Now, as a Packers fan, Justin, I just kind of want to hand the microphone over to you at the moment. Just just let the folks know how you're feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I tend to downplay this, you know, for the brand. Uh, but yeah, of course. My, my grandfather was a Packers fan, and he passed his fandom on to me. And uh, I'm very much a Philadelphia Eagles supporter. But, yes, I, I'm, I'm a Packers fan. And, um, yeah, you know, I went into this game thinking, you know, seven seed, eight and eight. Packers really didn't turn it on until Thanksgiving. Uh, they really took a lot of steps this year. You know, really saw some young players develop in, in very cool, encouraging ways. But in no way did I expect them to. Yeah. A, make the playoffs this year, and then B, take down the two seed in the, their stadium where they were undefeated. So I got to enjoy this as a Philadelphia sports fan and as a Green Bay Packers fan, and it's, it's what a feeling. Oh, my God. When they were up 27 nothing, that was just, that pick six was just, oh, my oh, yeah. God. And then Matt LaFleur just twisting the dagger, just being like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, why should we, why would we stop winning now? And you're like, no. thank you. Where are all these coaches? No Who, kidding. Like, why are we, why are we pulling up short in, like, nine times out of ten and LaFleur just being like no like we we, we want to we we, no. we can't take any chances here we have to kill them yeah and yeah they, let's they put went up 48 let's just do the 48 come oh, on now god oh just, that was the most <laughs> that was the that was probably the Packers best game they yeah. played this year oh, <laughs> I mean, sure. Has they, to be. they were coming up short on defense they were coming up short on special team it was like two-thirds of their team was missing for parts of this year and finally things worked well enough uh to 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 win this playoff game against a team that was a far superior team all season long. And I'm glad that it made Eagles fans feel good. I'm glad it made mm -hmm. Philadelphia feel good. I'm glad I come to Packers fandom with a Philadelphia sports mindset. Mm -hmm. It just makes, it makes it so satisfying. Like what an incredible, awesome victory. And I'm glad we're going to work it into our Phillies conversation tonight. We are, we are. And I'll just mention too, like 48 points is just an incredible amount of points, but it reminds me of the game I went to after the 95 season where the, the Eagles beat the Lions 58 to 37. That was, that is still in my lifetime the most ridiculous sporting event I've ever been to. It just was surreal what was happening in front of us. The, the, the whole game was bizarre. The Eagles were home playoff underdogs in that game, and watching watching it all unfold, it was, it was sheer lunacy. Like, we were flabbergasted at what it was like. They, they were up, like, uh, 51 to 14 or 17 or something like that at one point. Like, it was just, it was absolutely crazy that a team could put up 58 because you watched the Packers score, and they left points on the on the field. Like, they, they, put in the, they put in the backups with, like, six minutes to go. So Oh, yeah, and because, again, I approach it with a Philadelphia sports mindset, I was like, this is too early. You're doing this too early. <laughs> right. Everybody's well, talking well, about them winning, and you can't, nope, it's too early. <laughs> well, and it's, it's very reminiscent of the 22 Phillies, right? As the last team into the mm. playoffs, you, you go yep. in and uh, you, you you surprise you you shock the Cardinals in the in the uh, the opening round of the playoffs, and then uh, you get the big bad Braves. Uh, in in the divisional round of the playoffs, and then and then you shock them, and you know that's kind of the that's kind of the upstart feeling when you're the last team into the dance. Especially, you know, the Packers are like the youngest team in the NFL. They've got yep. all these young guys. I mean, the future is just ridiculously bright there. For the Phillies, it was a little bit of a different vibe because you had a lot of veterans there who'd been close a number of times and hadn't been able to push through. But the thing that you have in common there in baseball, and we heck we saw it with the Diamondbacks. 
in, in 2023, unfortunately, it bit the Phillies there. When you're the last team in, it doesn't always mean, matter of fact, it almost it very rarely means that you are, are going to ride that that crest. But if you enter the postseason hot, sometimes as the as the last team in, you're riding a wave of momentum that maybe the other teams not aren't necessarily. Now, that came into play with the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers, I think, last year. I don't think it came into play so much with the Phillies. By that point, you know, the Phillies were riding their own wave and the Diamondbacks give them credit. They figured out how to pitch to the Phillies over the latter part of that series and, and ended up winning, I think, more due to smarts than anything else. But it reminds me a lot of those two teams, 22 Phillies, 23 Diamondbacks. I don't think that's the formula for winning championships. Like the Phillies and Diamondbacks both fell short in the World Series. So I think it's not how you want to get into the postseason and, and go on a run. But there is certainly is, I think we're learning in sports right now, get into the playoffs. Like if you're if you're a baseball team, if you're the Phillies, no matter how you do it, get into the tournament. Because so many crazy, wacky things can happen when you just get in the playoffs. Like all of the regular season stuff, it really does go out the window once the postseason starts most of the time. There are times when everything goes chalk and you just you say, okay, that's exactly how that was supposed to happen. But certainly we have seen in baseball with the Phillies in, in, in the last couple of years. And uh, as we saw in, in uh, with the Packers today, uh, it's just you never know when, when the playoffs start. And that's kind of the fun. That's the beauty of the postseason. Yeah, and I, that's what's been interesting about, honestly, the Braves is that they have spent this winter trying to solve the riddle of, no, no, we can get into the postseason. How do you win in the postseason? Yeah. I, I really like seeing a team push to that point because yeah. you're right. The, the goal most of the t- nine out of times out of ten is let's just get there and see what happens. But the Braves are like, no, we have proven that we can get there. We have to be better at what happens next. Well, here's, and here's so, the weird so thing. Many, they won it all in 21. Like, yes. so they, they did win a title. Unlike the Cowboys, who have been coming up short for a quarter of a century, if Atlanta hadn't won in 21, you could make a direct parallel to those two teams. But, oh, of course. That's why yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah, but right. I'm, just, I'm just saying that is what their goal has been now after they have lost in, in what was viewed as way too early the past two years. And you're right. They can put that 2021 World Series title in their pocket, but guess what? That's where it is, in their pocket. Like, nobody is considering that when they say, oh, the Braves are choke artists, because they are saying that. And, you know, I wrote the Braves essay for the BP annual this year and, you know, tried to take that into account where it's like, yeah, it seems like that's the case, but they did win in 2021. So, yes, that is obviously a part of this uh, narrative. But at the same time, that has been their focus this offseason is just like, okay, we have the team. The team, like the team, is here. We we got it. We we locked that down. So what we got to do now is press a few buttons and pull the right levers to to get to that point in the postseason where we can where, where we're not getting eliminated early. Where we have figured out how to win in the postseason. And I don't know how successful they're going to be, but their moves have been with that in mind. And that's what's more interesting to me because you can point out flaws in the Chris Sale Von Grissom trade, but that was that was meant to address that. That was meant to be yeah. like, look, we're taking a risk on a guy who might have a better comeback year who might be able to stay healthy in ways he wasn't able to in Boston and uh, who is going to be another, if he, if he does, he's going to be another uh, horse out of the pen or horse out of the uh, rotation who we can throw at a team in a five, seven game series. Then that's going to be a huge asset to us. There's no guarantee it's going to work, but that is the plan here because what, what else do you want us to do? Like we can't Mm -hmm. get much better they are a very close to a perfect baseball team, except you know their rotation could probably use some some boosts. But at the same time, 
that's what's been interesting to me is that we're watching a team that knows how to get to the postseason and knows that anything can happen and has the past two years been on the failing end of anything can happen. <laughs> right, right. So it's just the the playoffs are a crapshoot, and we all know that. And uh, the 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 Packers today was an example of that, and and what we've seen the last couple of years in the baseball playoffs. Now, d- now the big question here, Justin, is do we need to fix the NFL playoffs? Because <laughs> uh, uh, obviously, it what 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 happened shouldn't have happened. I mean, we the Cowboys were not given enough of an advantage despite having, you know, won all those home games in a row and getting getting uh, the the home playoff game. I mean, it's uh maybe we have to go back to the first two seeds getting the getting the first round by and adding an extra uh, a fourth <laughs> wild card team just so just so things like this don't happen again. Hey, you know, I got no love or respect for Jerry Jones, but when they talked to him after the game, you know what he didn't talk about? Changing the playoff format yeah. <laughs> talking about how there were reporters in the locker room throwing garbage on his own field you know there he did yeah. he did none of that you know uh, to his credit so to his credit. You know. <laughs> yeah to his credit chin up jerry that's uh good on you there um so yeah so uh and and then the other thing too is we've got this eagles uh game against the the buccaneers coming up on on monday night and for maybe the maybe the packers game gives eagles fans a little bit more hope that anything can happen like i just said once you get into the tournament Anything can happen. These two teams are riding different waves. The Eagles are one and five in their last six. The Buccaneers are five and one in their last six. But the, you know, we're, we know the struggles the Eagles have had, and we're going into this game. A lot of us just without any expectations that the Eagles are going to win. I mean, they might, they might luck out, but nobody's feeling good about it. And I, it feels to me like a game like I know that they're not going to win. And it kind of had me thinking, in terms of the Phillies, like have there has there ever been like a playoff team that our playoff game where you went into it just knowing they've got no shot here. Like they're just, they're not winning this game. Well, it's less that I felt like they had no shot. It was more that I felt like they, that I was, I wanted to see them lose more than anything. If I can (laughs) reframe your question. Just to like Uh, prove a point or something kind of a thing or like, yeah, yeah. because so in 2010, uh, I, I lived in San Francisco and I, you know, the Phillies obviously lost to the Giants in the NLCS that year. That was a deeply scarring playoff series yes. for me. Mm-hmm. That 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 sunk in deep. Like when we were uh, in our early twenties, and, and guys older than us would talk about, uh, people older than us would talk about the Dodgers being like, "Oh no, I don't want anything good to happen to the Dodgers. I want to talk about the Dodgers." And it would be like, "Oh well, they've I'm, I'm kind of like neutral on the Dodgers," but they were like, "No, I." In my day, you know, they were a team I hated, and I, you know, it's like, oh, okay, whatever. I now realize where that kind of thing comes from because in 2010, the Giants became a team that I just hated because of what happened in that NLCS. And watching the even year Giants thing, that phenomenon mm. unfold over a series of years was just so. I hated it. I hated yeah. watching it. So by the time the Cubs finally ruined and like broke that pattern it was such a satisfying moment for me that i believe i wrote something <laughs> for the good fight about it and just framing it around like oh yeah my nephew was born and he's going to be raised as this phillies fan and he will never know about the even your giants because <laughs> they lived in california at the time and it was just I, I was so emotional and over the top about it and that, that them losing that series And, you know, this was obviously a time when the Phillies were nowhere near the playoffs, but I felt like I actually had a rooting interest in this non-Phillies series because Mm. I needed them to lose so bad. I needed that not to be real by 2016. 
that they weren't that the even your giants thing wasn't like magic and that it could end and it finally finally did and yeah. that just there were the 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 chains that came off my heart <laughs> in, that, <laughs> in that playoff series. It's hard to describe, but it was so deeply satisfying. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think um, if I'm thinking about a situation like uh, with the Phillies and, and going into a game where I just didn't feel like they had much of a chance to, to, to win, because I don't feel about the Eagles like I want them to lose to prove a point. You know, I feel like, I, I especially now that the Cowboys lost, I want to be able to say, we went deeper than Dallas. I, that'll almost be a victory for me at this point of a season, if I can, if I can say that, you know. So, um, <laughs> I, that, so that would be that would be part of it. But you know, I always want to win a playoff game. I always want to win playoff series because, again, you never know what can, what can happen. You know. So with the Phillies, I, I think I look back at uh, Game Six of the twenty two World Series. That's um, what I. That's the other answer I was going to give. I yeah. knew they were going to lose that game. Yes. Yeah. Yep, it just didn't feel. It felt like all the momentum had been had been taken away. Like even last year in games six and seven, I I, I think I was I was despondent after game six, but I went into game seven with more hope because I was like, they're at home, they got to win this game. Like they yeah. got to win this game. They can't they can't blow this to this team. They can't. It can't happen. But like when you're going into Arizona, I mean when you're going into um uh, into Houston against that team that just had everything rolling their way. Like, and you're coming off that game five where Chaz McCormick goes up against the right center field wall and, uh, and steals a double away from, from real Muto. And, you know, you had, uh, uh, uh Kyle Schwarber rip a, rip a ball down the first baseline that Trey Mancini somehow it got, it got like impinged on him and he, <laughs> he tagged first base and ended a rally there. I was just like, all right, it's it's not going to happen, and then and then it didn't. You know, they had that yeah. one nothing lead. Jeremy, Jeremy Pena made a great defensive stop in that game too. Like, yes, it he was did. Just it was an un unreal. Like they were just hitting it into a wall. Yeah. Like, again, we knew before going into that game, but it just watching them play it out. And was it Schwarber hit the home run to put them up one nothing? Actually, they yes. actually had a lead in, in that the sixth game. inning. Yeah. But you didn't. You, you just you didn't. But you're like that's not going to be enough. No. There's you were waiting for that moment when the Astros yeah. are going to take the lead and like the broadcast was kind of leaning in their direction at that point and it was just like you're just waiting for what happened to happen like the the very next half inning as soon as Jeremy Pena hit that ball up the middle because I think he hit he hit Altuve with a pitch to start the inning and then I think it was Jeremy Pena hit a ball up the a, like another grounder that would have just you know he hits it one direction or the other it's an easy double play but in this case, you know, Jeremy Pena was finding every hole in that series, and he hits one right up the middle. They get first and third. I think there's there's either no out or one out, and then you see Rob Thompson coming out of the dugout. You knew. Like, you just knew that was it. But even going into that game, I just kind of knew they don't – It's the, the run is over, um, and, uh, and that was, was going to be pretty much it there at that point. And I think as I look back on 93, I think I, I, I kind of felt the same way about game six – um, going into that game as well, just after the 15-14 loss in, in game four, Schilling, you know, pulls their fanny out of the fire in game five, but it just kind of felt like a stay of execution almost. Um, but they almost pulled off game six. You know, I mean, they, they really did. They almost pulled that off and um, just got your hopes up again. But uh, there haven't been a whole lot of times in, in Philly's history where I guess, I guess maybe the one time where I felt like they, I don't know if I felt like they didn't have a shot in that wildcard series against the Cardinals going into it um i would love to revisit myself yeah. watching that because I, I can remember it like pretty clearly because it wasn't that long ago but i definitely went into that last inning thinking like 
All right, this was the year where making the playoffs was the goal, and they did that. And yes, yeah. they had to expand the playoffs, and they wouldn't have made the playoffs in you know, <laughs> other years. But still, yeah. they made it. It counts. Next year is about that forward momentum. And again, it's not like that rally they mounted was like a definitive, dominant rally. They hit right. two balls that looked right. like they were going to be double plays and just yep. got through the infield. Yep. Kyle Schwarber hit a sack fly. Like, at that point, you were just like, whatever runs we can get right now, yeah. get them. Scratch them. Doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> just get the runs. And that they managed to get, like, six was like, oh, my God. Yeah, they have to win this game now. Yep. So, yeah, that was uh, – I, I would love to check in with myself in, like, the eighth inning of that game because – I think be that being like the first playoff game in that long, I was probably like, no, there's still like, as long as there's a chance, there's a chance. I think I, that genuinely would have been my mindset. I'm a, I've become a very cynical person, especially about sports, but I think I can say that I honestly felt like, no, as long as there's another inning, they have a chance because it yeah. was only, it was a very low score. They didn't have to do much to tie the game. So I, I think that game I felt I had a lot more hope going into. Same as like the 2011 elimination game where I was like, yeah, no, they're going to score. They're down by one. Yeah, like, they, they're, they're going to score at some point. They're going to score it. So they're going to accidentally not going to run at some point. Like, come on, they're, they, they're going to do it. And it just never happened. And I've talked about before that I watched that game, I believe, on a flight, a cross-country flight with no oh. sound. And felt like my heart was gonna come out of my chest, and oh <laughs> that was gosh. not a that was not a fun way to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not how you fly. That's not how you fly at all. And I'll I'll give you one more. I remember '09 uh, World Series Game Six when you had uh, Pedro, the, the the shell of Pedro Martinez, trying to stop the Yankees from reclaiming their their top spot uh, on the sport. And it just you know going into Yankee Stadium like you're you're not you're not winning that game. You're not you're not yeah. winning Game Six, and they were never in that game either. So. Um, so just a, a couple of those, and who knows what will happen with the Eagles um, against an inferior opponent on, on Monday night. But um, well, again, I feel like I know, but <laughs> yeah, I know, I know <laughs> I'm sorry. I <laughs> know. Uh, well, we'll see what happens, but yeah, we, we really know already. All right. Um, and one other thing, you know, to get into here, because I, I think we've been talking a little bit about, you know, the different kinds of players that, that they can add over these next couple of weeks. And again, they're in no hurry. You know, they're going to grab like a number six starter. They're going to grab a left-handed hitting outfielder. It sounds like is the guy they want. They, they really got to get a Jake cave replacement. And I think that's, that's the deal here is getting a Jake cave replacement in one of the corner outfield spots. Uh, I saw Whit Merrifield's name mentioned today. And I think that's, that's the guy that, that that's, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. You know, um, He's he's got some speed. He can do a little bit more. He's not great with the bat, but at least he gives you some things that Jake Cave doesn't. Like Jake Cave might accidentally hit you a home run every every once in a while. And Whit Merrifield is not going to be a guy who who blocks Johan Rojas. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to be somebody who uh, is is gonna you're gonna sit there and say, well we 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 can't play we can't play Johan Rojas. We you know we signed Whit Merrifield to that one year three million four million dollar contract. I mean maybe he's gonna get more than that. I, I he, it's possible he gets. He gets a little bit more than that, and maybe there's some place that, coming that off an all star give... season, so he's trying to get paid. You know what? As that's true. That's true. Yep, yep, that's true. He had 272, 700 OPS. Um, what was he worth? Like, he did play, 0. He played 0. in 140 replacements, so he played in 145 games last year. And I think a, a lot of people were playing this up, and I, I think that, that, that it's fair that Matt Gelb wrote that they're having trouble, the Phillies, in attracting free agents because of the roles they're trying to fill aren't yeah. going to be filled potentially by even a guy like Whit Merrifield, who again is coming off an all-star season, 
who might feel like he wants to play in 145 games, you know, again, who wants those plate appearances and wants those bats and wants to be able to, to produce, or at least, you know, help his own resume. And that's fair. That's totally fair. Like that's, and that's, that's going to be tough. That, that is their challenge is that they have enough really, you know, they have enough good players in enough spots that it's tough to be like, Hey, good player, come here and fill this smaller role that you're accustomed to filling. So yeah. that would, that would be tough. But at the same time, yeah, I think that's obviously if he was willing to come here, a 34 year old Whit Merrifield brings you a different skill set than shake cave. Who yeah. I, I just, gives you no uh, skills. They brought him back. <laughs> they went out of the way to bring him back. So they like yeah. him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, he's he's going to be depth and you hope you don't have to use that depth. But um, but yeah, I think that's going to be uh, that that's going to be they still need to add to that area. And it's going to be something they're not going to do for a while yet, because you like you said, they have a lot of these guys out there that want jobs. And if you're a team like the Pirates or you're a team like, uh, you know, what's a no? What's another going nowhere team? that could Rockies. just use somebody yeah like a like the Rockies if you're with Merrifield I mean maybe it all depends too like do you want to go someplace and start every day like is it more important for you to go play every day and maybe try to get one last multi-year contract he's 34 those days might be passed um he's not a he's not a good offensive player anymore like he hit set he OPS 700 maybe he's not worth the Phillies going after but I mean again in a part-time role he can play some different positions. It might be more valuable. Maybe he would rather go chase a ring. Maybe he would rather go be a part of a playoff team than go start every day for Colorado or Pittsburgh or something like that. And so maybe there's a happy medium there. You can say, hey, listen, we're going to get you, you know, we'll get you 300 plate appearances this year, 400 plate. Look how much Jake Cave played last year for crying out loud. You know, nobody thought that he was going to be an everyday guy. So, um, that's just a name that kind of came up uh, across my timeline uh, this weekend, and I thought that made that made a lot of sense. It just depends, like you said, what kind of job Whit Merrifield wants to have next year. Um, but as we're looking at the lineup, I think we kind of know what most of the players are going to be in this lineup. They're not going to sign a star to go play left field. So one of the things that we just kind of got used to the idea of is Kyle Schwarber hitting leadoff, and for much of the season, it, it kind of felt like they wanted to do something different. I think the idea may have been to play Trey Turner in the leadoff spot at a certain point, but he got off to such a slow start. That was never possible. They tried Bryson Stott at the top of the lineup. Didn't seem like he was terribly comfortable up there. And, you know, there a bunch of us had, had recommended, well, you know, Alec Bohm is getting on base. Maybe Alec Bohm can be a top of the lineup guy. He's not exactly a big home run hitter, but he can, you know, especially against left-handers, he gets on base a lot and uh, does all these different, d- different kinds of things. Like, there's some options there, but I don't, I guess I wonder if coming into to 2024, is this the year they try something different? Like, is this the year where they try and get Kyle Schwarber in the middle of the lineup so that maybe some of those solo home runs are multi-run home runs? But I will say too, Kyle Schwarber comes up, does come up to the plate with runners in scoring position or runners on base quite a bit. And doesn't hit a lot of home runs with runners on base. Most of his home runs are solo home runs, and that's not only because he's leading off. So he just seems to provide more power when there's nobody on base and whatever. He hits 48, 50 home runs every year. It's fine. But how do you see the lineup shaking out? Do you think they want to make a change? Do you think they would like to do something a little bit different? No, I don't. I, I think um, I don't think people know what they want from a leadoff hitter. I think what they want is a perfect baseball player. I mean, even just listening to you just now, it's like, oh, well, you know, they tried a guy who gets on base, a guy who gets base hits, a guy who can knock in runs, a guy who can, who, who has a lot of speed, a guy who can hit home runs. 
these are either different guys or one perfect player that the Phillies just don't have. So I crunched some numbers among NL East teams because I was too lazy to crunch them for the entire National League, but I figured that was enough as far Good as enough. rankings yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. The NL East it's, is a, eight. It's, a, it's a Sunday night, man. There's, there's, you know, don't, you know, you don't <laughs> talk out of your way. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> the NL East, we're only, we're only in the, you know, running to win best baseball podcast. Why go out of your yeah, way? Yeah, why, why go into any extra effort? I agree. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, the NL East is a terrifying world of leadoff hitters. Schwarber has his strengths. But then you have Ronald Acuna, obviously, in Atlanta. Brandon Nimmo in New York. Yeah. Lane Thomas in Washington had a great year. Luis Arise in Miami. And for that reason, four of the five NL East teams are top 10 in the National League in batting average, slugging percentage, and home runs out of the leadoff spot. Three of the five NL East teams are top 10 in on-base percentage and walks out of the leadoff spot. So where are the Phillies? They are the highest among NL East teams out of the leadoff spot in walks, strikeouts, and fly ball percentage. Hmm. They are second in all of Major League Baseball out of the leadoff spot in home runs and the rate at which fly balls become home runs. Okay. Also walks and strikeouts. And again, this is because Kyle Schwarber is their leadoff hitter most of the time. He is a different kind of player, so he is a different kind of leadoff hitter. He is good at some things. We all know what those things are. Are they the things a leadoff hitter should be good at? Or do we need to rethink what we want or expect from a leadoff hitter? I'll be honest. It's been fun to occasionally think about, like you were talking about before, Schwarber's skill set being in a spot where there are guys on base when he does what he does best. But also, like you said, he doesn't seem to do that as often when guys are on base. So you can look at the stats and see the stats that you prefer from a leadoff hitter and, and see a leadoff hitter option elsewhere among the Phillies starters. But keep in mind, a lot of them haven't been hitting out of the leadoff spot. So there's no guarantee that they're going to be pitched yeah. to in the same way or that they're going to approach the situation in the same way. You mentioned Alec Bohm. He was the Phillies' best hitter with runners in scoring position this year, but that's because he hit deeper in the order and a bunch of guys who could get on base were ahead of him. It's also, you know, not to rob him of any credit. It's also because he, he got hits when those guys were on base. But he had the fifth highest on base percentage among Phillies starters, the lowest strikeout percentage, the second highest line drive percentage, and the fourth highest walk percentage. Put aside all the context, and that is perhaps a guy with the numbers that suggest he should be leading off. He doesn't get himself out. He hits a lot of line drives. He knows how to get on base. But, John, you love 80s baseball, a time when it made I sense do. to put your fastest guy in the leadoff spot because he could get on mm -hmm. base more easily with his speed on a close play and steal more bases once he was on. But baseball has been rethinking this, you know, and, and that's not always the guy who's in that role now. So I, I guess what I'm saying is you can experiment by putting somebody like Bryson Stott up there, somebody like Trey Turner up there, but by putting Harper up there, even if you want to try that, I feel like that would probably be not a great idea, but you know, you could try that. People online will curse you out because things are out of their personal alignment for an evening. But if you want to try, try it. Schwarber has not been good at hitting for average, if that matters to you. He's not great at getting on base statistically. He can draw walks, but he doesn't log a lot of base hits. But he does give you one of the best two chances in baseball at knocking one out to start a game or when yeah. the lineup comes back around. Because as we all know, that's you know, only a true leadoff hitter. You're only a true leadoff hitter one time every game. So I guess what I'm saying is it's important to be open to new ideas, perhaps more open than Rob Thompson is prepared to be throughout the season. He's only going to make a big change like this once or twice because he's a player manager. But there's an argument to be made, I feel, 
at least for now, that the Phillies have made the last two NLCS with Kyle Schwarber predominantly leading off. So why mess with what hasn't always felt like it was working, but has ultimately, given the results, worked? Yeah, and I think a lot of this comes back to Kyle Schwarber's struggles in the first couple months of the season. And I remember last year, it just seemed like when he and Trey Turner were struggling so much, the number one and two spot in the order for the first two and a half months of the season were an absolute death valley of production. They they were the worst top of the order in baseball. They were getting nothing from Schwarber. They were getting nothing from Turner. And there were no other options. That's when they tried Bryce uh, Bryce and Stott. That's when they tried some different things and none of it could work. And when your top two guys aren't getting on base, they're not producing, your offense dies. Like it just, it just dies. But when Schwarber is hot, when he is on, it really, there's nobody you would rather have up. And so the more plate appearances you can give him, the better. And so in the playoffs, especially when the Phillies would be in a rally, and we saw this in the NLCS, Schwarber is one of the few guys who was, who was taking good at bats, who was still getting on base, who was still walking and, and getting himself on for Turner, for Harper, for Castellanos, for Bohm, for Stott, all these other guys who struggled to different degrees in the last portion of the, of the NLCS. So, yeah, I mean, I get you. Pros and cons, 29 solo home runs for Kyle Schwarber last year, 18 home runs uh, with, uh, with men on base. He had, um, I think it was, uh, f- yeah, 429 plate appearances with nobody on, 291 with men on base, and yet uh, 11 more home runs. So, I mean, it, he did hit home runs with guys on. and that, That's not to say that he didn't, because he certainly did. So, I again, I, I, you're right. If, if our definition of leadoff hitter has changed over the years, and it's worked, I guess, I, again, it would be, if there was a better alternative, I think I would say, yes, let's go for it. But I guess try it again this year. See what happens. But I, I would kind of experiment. And if Schwarber, again, gets off to an invisible start in April and May, I wouldn't hesitate, hesitate to pull the trigger to do something else. Yeah, why not plan to have somebody else leading off in April and May? Honestly, like you can plan around Schwarber not hitting until June. You really can. <laughs> you really I, should I, be. I know it sounds ridiculous, but like yeah. you, you can do that now. Yeah. It's an established fact. He will not start hitting until June unless he starts spring training in now. Now. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he's got to start now. <laughs> unless he's down there now, he's yeah. not going to be on track. So, yeah. And I, I think I think that's totally fair because the Phillies, it, the benefit of being the Phillies and the benefit of having a bunch of experienced free agents and not like a team full of youngsters who are still working things out is that you can they have they have defined themselves. You can work with with established definitions of players. And part of Kyle Schwarber's definition is that he doesn't start hitting till June. And if he wants to, if, if it's going to be different this, this year, then fine. We'll, we'll see that. But if he's, you know, two weeks go by and he's hitting one ten, and it's just not, you know, it's just not working. Then you can be like, okay, look that we're not, we're not going to waste two months again with our leadoff spot. We're going to try something else. We're going to try a series of other things because what's the other, what's the alternative starting the guy we want to start there. And he's not, He's not doing anything, so why not? Why not be open? And I guess that's what I'm like focusing on when I went on that whole rant was that just be yeah. open to trying new things, even if there's not an obvious answer. Which, as you're saying, I don't think there is. Like, show me the obvious replacement. Show me the ideal leadoff guy in the Phillies uh, roster, the guy who has excelled at that when given the chance. Because you're right, Stott got a chance. People talked about Bohm, and you know, players develop. We're expecting to see more from Bohm or Stott. 
and Orstad in mm-hmm. the next year. So maybe they develop in that way. Maybe they learn about you know approaching the game as a leadoff hitter or approaching a pitcher as a leadoff hitter, and and they get better at that. Who knows? You know who knows. But the idea is to be open to it because Kyle Schwarber, you know, sure, like I said, they got to the NLCS twice in a row with him predominantly getting leadoff at bats. At the same time, you can do better in the leadoff spot than Kyle Schwarber. You know, yeah. it's not it's not an area you necessarily have to work and focus on improving, but it's something you could improve. So be open to changes moving forward. Yeah, I would. The first guy I would try is is Trey Turner in that mm-hmm. spot and yeah again, because what are the odds he starts the season the way he started right, it last year exactly right. i don't think that's going to happen again um i i think uh, i think he's the ideal guy and then you know it's just a matter of matching the the lineup the uh, you know the rest of the way down and, and kind of seeing how that all works out but um you know there's there's a lot of uncertainty about the lineup you know i think we saw a lot of good things from bryson stott last year no idea what to expect from nick castellanos this year no idea what to expect <laughs> from jt rail muto this year really no idea what to expect from alec bohm this really, year really tears down my point about having a bunch of established people who you know what to expect from. <laughs> yeah well maybe you know, the fact that they are so uneven and kind of all over the place a little bit that's just who they are that's and, and you just you know when they're when they're riding the hot streaks that's you know, you like them all, uh, but uh, when they're not, then you just kind of have to move some pieces around and, and figure some things out. I guess but, that's what I mean. You know yeah. what you should expect. Yeah, yeah, That doesn't exactly. mean you're going to get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, well, listen, I mean, there's not a whole lot else to, to dive into here at this stage of the offseason. We are in mid-January, and teams are still really just uh, feeling things out. Um Reese Hoskins remains a free agent, uh, waiting for him to sign and uh, waiting to see some of these other guys go off the board. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, yeah, I guess we can probably just kind of close up shop here for for this episode of Hit and Season. Justin, do you have any final thoughts to share for before we uh, before we get out of here? What do you think with Reese, Cubs or Mariners? Cubs. It makes too much sense for them I for also him not to go Cubs. to Chicago. Yeah, I also think Cubs. And and speaking of the Cubs. I, Cubs fans are in love with Cody Bellinger. They want him back. And I saw somebody describe like Cody Bellinger. He he runs like I I can't I can't remember exactly what the quote was, but it was about like, oh, he runs almost purely on vibes. And I was just like, mm, I get why they want him back, but boy. Yeah. As far as like other teams, he would fit in with. He would be uh-huh. a real good fit with the Phillies. <laughs> they, you know, he's obviously off the table given the description of the jobs available the Phillies have. We did earlier, but boy, he would. Uh, I think he'd click right in. <laughs> I, and I, I agree, uh, but yes, I, I think you're right. That's not that's not something that's likely to happen. But um, he should go back to Chicago. Chicago he should, should, he should make him back. an offer. Like that's a team that's ready to contend. You know, yeah. they what are they doing? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they go sign Imanaga, and then you're not gonna you're not gonna bring him back. I mean, unless he doesn't want to go back. But yeah, interesting. Uh, but yeah, I think Reese ends up with Chicago. They had like a Cubs fan fest. All the players were coming out like to like give their speeches, and like three or four of them mentioned like we got to bring Belly back. And you're like, are they really saying that without any inside info? Right. Like, can can they say that without? They can't get away with that. that. The team is playing, <laughs> yeah, planning to come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the owner's got to be backstage. Like, don't t- don't say anything about Bellinger. Don't say, and then they go, hey, we have Belly. We need Belly back. <laughs> you know, that's what's happening. Um, all right, everybody. Well, look, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. A little bit of an express episode here for you, but um, of course, uh, we'll be back uh, midweek uh, with another episode. And uh, Justin and Liz will have an episode at the end of the week so we will keep our ears to the grindstone to this hot stove we won't keep our ear to the hot stove because that would hurt a lot but uh, we will be keeping uh, an eye out and ear out for anything going on with the fills um, and around major league baseball and bring that to you folks again just a reminder vote for us 
the dirty inning and or hitting season for best baseball podcast of 2023 go to sportspodcastgroup.com and that is where you can find the full list of all the different podcast groups that you can vote for and just click on the one for baseball and you'll see us all there so would uh, would love for you to do that and then you can check out the dirty inning as well as absolutely hammered over at our hitting season patreon patreon.com slash hitting season and of course uh, read all of our stuff over at billy penn as well billypenn.com slash hit and season is the landing page there. Did I throw enough URLs at you? Do, do you? Did you write them all down? I sure hope so. If not, hit the 30-second button on your podcast and you can get them all again. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season. 